Welcome everyone to another episode of the SAEM Rams Ask a Chair podcast series. My name is Hamza Ajaz, and today I'm joined by Dr. Robert Eisenstein, who is the department chair at the Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. So let's start with the very beginning. What drew you to the field of emergency medicine in the first place? So probably like so many others, you know, you, you get to medical school, you start doing your rotations with sort of an idea of what you may want to go into. And as I, you know, like many of us, I liked a little bit of everything. You know, I liked the procedural oriented things. I liked to, that initial part of the initial encounter, the initial thing. And, you know, but there was not one single thing that I really loved until my fourth year when I got into emergency medicine. And that's when I realized you kind of get to do a little bit of everything. You get immediate satisfaction in certain times where you, you make a difference and you can really feel that difference. You get to do procedures. You kind of get to do everything. That's really what drew me to it. And then, you, you know, the lifestyle, at least back then, in terms of not being on call, knowing when you're coming and going, having a sort of known schedule ahead of time. It, you know, there were things like that that I really liked a lot about it. Yeah, I hear that a lot as well, where, you know, it's the... the the broad spectrum of being able to do a lot of different things and being gravitating, gravitating towards uh, the ability to make a direct impact as well as that you do a little bit of everything and then you get a little bit of immediate satisfaction from whatever therapy or intervention you do, whether that works or not. So definitely, uh, definitely gravitate towards that a lot myself. Did you always know you wanted to become a chair or like, can you walk me through your journey to becoming a chair? Sure. So, so I, you know, Honestly, becoming a chair and working in an academic medical center, not really what I thought about at all. When I first came out of residency, it was interesting in that the community hospital that we all rotated through had several people leave at the same time. So me and two of my co-residents all went there. So out of a six, a six position emergency department that had six full-time people, we replaced three of them and we worked there together for a while. And I started at a community hospital that had EM residents. And you know, after about five years, circumstances were changing in the site that I was, and I started looking for another place. I was working in Philadelphia at the time. I had established a home in South Jersey and was looking for something in, in New Jersey. And, you know, a lot of the, the emergency departments in New Jersey were managed by the big contract managed groups. So the groups that were evolving into what are now the, the biggest contract managed groups, management groups out there. And there was one company that was a physician-owned Democratic group that I liked and the closest hospital that they, they they had a contract with near where I lived was Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital. So I ended up changing jobs, going to, to now an academic medical center that did not have an EM residency program. So it was a big, big switch. I went from a community hospital with EM residents to an academic medical center without. Um, and that was, wow, back in 2001, so a couple of years ago. <laughs> And then in 2005, you know, it was interesting. When I was in Philly, it was a contract group that managed the ED and eventually became employees of, of Thomas Jefferson, which is where I trained. Now that same thing started to happen when I was in New Brunswick at Robert Wood Johnson. The, the medical school and the contract was actually between the contract group and the medical school, not the hospital. The medical school sort of supplied the physicians that were all the leaders and staff. A lot of what was going on in the hospital. They decided they wanted to create an academic department of emergency medicine on that campus in New Brunswick, which did not exist. I was the assistant director for the ED at that time. And for whatever reason, they decided they liked what I had done thus far. And they asked me to stay on and help build an academic department. Back then, we were we had a regional campus down in Camden. It was Cooper University Hospital. 
And there was actually an academic ED or there was a, a residency program at Cooper. So although all of the departments had chairs in New Brunswick for all of the other specialties, there was a chair of emergency medicine at Cooper because that's where they had a residency program. It's about a 55, 60 mile distance. There was really no noticeable relationship that people sort of on the ground working. So when they asked me to start to build it, I became vice chair because there was already a chair. Several years later, the two schools split. Cooper began to create his own medical school with another university, and I became the interim chair. And, you know, a national search was done, and after a few years as an interim chair, I finally became chair. So that started probably in 2005, I think, when I became vice, and it took from five to 17 <laughs> to, become, to become the actual chair. I kind of joked that I lost my qualifying title at that point. But the job was the job. So I really started from nothing and we built an academic department. Yeah, it's really unique that you, you don't really co commonly hear, you know, chairs that start from the community origins mm -hmm. and then transition to the academic medical center. Usually uh, you hear that it's, you know, started off in the academic setting and then stayed within the academic setting. But it's, it's refreshing to see that, you know, you can go through the community track um, and have emergency medicine residents there and then work your way to an academic site, build a residency and build a department, and then eventually become a chair as well in, in, that, in, a, in that institution. So that's very, uh, that's very respectful. Yeah, I think it was definitely, it was a unique experience and it was, a, you know, definitely a big learning curve over time. You know, when I first joined, it was, you know, we're at the Association of Academic Chairs and Administrators Retreat. When I first joined, there wasn't a retreat yet. There was a meeting that happened, you know, a dinner that happened at SAM and other stuff. So I actually started as vice chair attending that. And I've been coming to these meetings since they started for the last, I guess it's the 18th annual one at this point. So I've been coming and, you know, that, that gave me, you know, the foundation in terms of mentors and network and people to help learn from and develop and, and grow. And we really, you know, started from nothing. We, we started with a fourth year emergency medicine clerkship, a mandatory clerkship. We built our residency. We added a fellowship, and we it was uh, it's been it's been a journey. Yeah. So let's let's walk a little bit more into this. You know, dive a little bit deeper into this journey in terms of what have been some of the most rewarding aspects of you know being have been a chair now for a few years, and then what have been some of the most difficult parts of being a chair as well. So you know, I think you know again starting from scratch when we 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 finally got to the point where we we did what we needed to to start our residency, having the residency start, and then that first class graduate. You know, we became a department in 2005. Our first class came in in 2010. So 13 was our first graduating class. So what really I keep thinking about now is this year is going to be the 10th anniversary of our first graduating class. So that to me is just fantastic. And now I've got, you know, 10 years of six residents a year out there. So we've got people who have out, been out there and was honestly probably the most rewarding thing was in when that first class went out. And they went to, some went to fellowships, some went to community hospitals, some went to academic settings. But when I got calls or emails from the leaders at the places they went telling me how, you know, what a good job they were doing, it, it was sort of that proud daddy moment. You know, I felt like the proud parent and my kids went out in the world and they were doing, you know, doing us proud. It was, that was probably, honestly, thinking back now the most rewarding thing. And literally every one of them, I, I had that sort of praise. So to me, I thought, we, you know, that we're, we're here. We did a good job. We've got people out in various different settings and all excelling and doing well. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, that's incredible, you know, to hear all that. You touched on this a little bit, and we're going we're gonna to pivot a little bit. You talked a little bit about job searching. You talked a little bit about, you know, your residents going and getting jobs. 
and the back and on the forefront, actually, a lot of people's residents, students, faculties uh, mind in terms of the 2020 workforce report, in terms of what is true there, what is fact, what is fiction. I'm sure the truth is somewhere in between all of that. So what is your interpretation? What is your opinion of what is, you know, making sense of that report? What is your opinion? So you know, that, that's a great question. And obviously, you know, in light of the recent match and the unprecedented number of unmatched spots, you know, that's on the minds of a lot of people out there. And, you know, a lot of medical students are hearing about it. Honestly, I think there was a tight year that there was a combination of things that, that came into play and COVID certainly didn't help as the volumes dropped, which made the market even tighter for that brief period. And for the first time in all my years of doing it, residents, they all got jobs, but they got jobs much later in the year than they ever had before. And it may not have been their ideal job, but that was one year. And since then, things seem to have turned around quite a bit. They're getting jobs very easily. Now they're going where they want to go. Many of us, I think, you know, we remember the days of the recruiters emailing and calling left and right, which stopped for a little bit. Well, I'm getting those calls myself again now. So, so that's all back. So I think that the job market is going to, is still there. I think we're recovering. I think, you know, we have a lot to do to continue and, and look at what we've done in terms of growth of programs, look at all the things that we think have contributed to it. But personally, I think, you know, we're going to recover. And, you know, we're getting to the age where a lot of us, I mean, I just at this point, if you consider residency, I've been doing this for 30 years and I don't feel like I'm an old guy at this point, but again, I've been doing this for 30 years. So, you know, there's going to be jobs for people going forward. I think we're going to be okay. Okay. That's, I'm sure the listeners uh, will appreciate that, that sentiment there. Do you feel that, you know, the 2030 report uh, was anticipating a surplus of, you know, between seven to 10,000 oversupply of physicians. Do you think we're going to actually truly have that much of a surplus or do you think we'll be understaffed or you'll think we'll be less of a surplus, not as much as was initially hypothesized? Honestly, I don't know the answer. I think, you know, obviously there are a lot of things that have contributed to attrition at the time here right now. So there are people leaving the workforce as people are entering the workforce. I, I think it's probably an overestimate in terms of the surplus. You know, again, we're all guessing. I don't really know the right answer. I, at this point, don't think I would discourage anybody from doing this. You know, I think there's going to be the drop out there. I think we need to look at how APPs are integrated into the, the care team. And I think if we work towards the appropriate care team model and how everybody works, I think there's there's going to be plenty out there. You know, okay. the population is aging. There's things are getting more complex. I think there's, I think we're going to be okay. Yeah, I think a lot of this will require interdisciplinary uh, physician-led interdisciplinary uh, teams to provide care for our complex patients and the complexity will continue to grow. And let's talk a little bit about the medical students. You alluded to this a little bit in terms of the, the MASH report that just came out in you know, the last few days. Um, you know, over 500 unfilled MASH spots. What advice, uh, what would you tell the medical students who are either on the fence about applying emergency medicine or even the ones that are, you know, definitively committed to emergency medicine? Like, what advice would you provide to them? Um, or how would you reassure them or provide them with the true facts? So, you know, I think the, the, the first and foremost is those of us who are in emergency medicine are in emergency medicine because we love what we do. And as many factors are out there that may, you know, with the increasing stresses and everything that, that's happened in how the field and how medicine itself has changed, I still love what I do. I still, after 30 years, can come to work and see something I've never seen before. You know, you can still get surprised. There's not a lot of places you can do that, you know, to, to after 30 years, get surprised by something new that, that's never happened and you never quite know 
what to expect. And all the things that drew me to emergency medicine are still there. You know, when you, you know, I, I again, not thinking that I was going to be in this role when I first started, you know, I, I knew I get to go in, I do my shifts, I do my things, I come home and not worry about work when you're not at work and you, you do what you need to do. Obviously, that's not quite the case anymore, but I still love the days when I get to go in and see patients and I enjoy doing it. I think the job market is going to be there. I think there's going to be plenty of jobs for us as, again, things continue to get more complex as emergency medicine evolves to continue to meet the demand that's out there. You know, just like other specialists have done it, we change and we shift with the times and we look for other ways to expand and do what we do. You know, we're going to continue to do that. We're, we're, we're sort of pioneers, you know, in terms of medicine and, and medical care. And that's, that's not going to change. That's who we are. So as we look for other venues and opportunities, you know, there's always going to be something, there's going to be something new and there's always going to be an opportunity. Yeah. I feel like emergency medicine is appropriately pivoted or, you know, appropriately positioned to pivot into new areas, depending on what is needed within the house of medicine, just because of our creative thinking. And that's what draws us into the specialty anyways. Um, so I think that aspect is going to help us be ready and hopefully be at the forefront of whatever change that needs to happen within the house of medicine so that we continue to have jobs as well as a well diverse group of jobs to, um, and, and, you know, care delivery models to have, you know, I think some of this, um, in terms of the 500 plus, you know, students that are on full spots that initially happened, some of this, you know, from a perspective of the last couple of years, like, you know, it has been a little more di- more difficult than usual to practice, you know, what we do, what we do love, as you mentioned. It has been a little bit more difficult in setting up, you know, boarding, out, boarding times have been a little bit longer. Uh, there's that concept of, you know, waiting room medicine that is anecdotally being thrown out there as well. So, you know, we've definitely had challenges that we've been facing over the last couple of years that students who are rotating in the ED um, they do come to to witness those, you know, and I, I suspect that some of what they've observed on their AIs or on their electives, they definitely, you know, perceive that stress that we feel. Uh, but, I, you know, what you said initially, what drew you first in the field of emergency medicine still holds true, where it's the ability to make an initial impact, to do a whole wide variety of things. And I think all those things are still know what we're doing. It's just uh, in a different model than what we're doing, you know, over the last 30 years that you've been practicing. Yeah, absolutely. That's funny. You know, obviously we're all talking about what happened. I just had a call. I have a call with my faculty every other Friday, you know, with COVID changed the way we do things only for having a faculty meeting in person once a month to, you know, early on, it was a zoom call daily because things changed between morning and night as you were doing it to everybody liked it so much. We continued on a weekly basis and now at least twice a month, we do a call every Friday. So people don't have to come in. We all get together. We talked about this. And, you know, one of the things I said is, I'm going to a meeting next week where there's going to be a lot of this talk about it. Court is meeting this week. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of discussion about that then. You know, we as all of the, the organizations in the specialty are going to come together to figure out how do we, you know, what do we do to improve things. But I said the one thing that we can all start doing today is when the students do come down and they do witness it is we need to make sure we show them the reasons we all want to have emergency medicine, that we make sure we tell them the positive parts of it. And we, I, there's some days it's harder than others. And if you're frustrated, you want to vent about things, that's all well and good. But those things can happen when we're in a room together to each other. But when we're with our students, they need to make sure they hear the things that we still love and what drew us to the specialty. Most definitely. we got to help them make an informed decision, but we got to make sure we truly do communicate to them you know, what we love about why we enjoyed emergency medicine in the first place. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time here today. I really appreciate you spending a few moments with us to, to share your thoughts. Uh, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thanks.